0: being racist or being insensitive is a learned behavior it's taught it's not something that you naturally have so it's figuring out okay well these kids naturally see the world with a good lens and let's foster that with more conversations
1: This is Moms in the Middle, the show for busy parents who need a little help keeping their hustle in check, or maybe a lot of help these days. My name is Ivanka Osmak, and I am the mom of two boys, a three-year-old named George and a three-month-old
2: like. And I'm Melanie Ng, mom of a four-year-old named Josh. Now, we have been at home, like most of you, recording episodes here and there for Moms in the Middle, and we have been brainstorming which topics we want to talk about, what you want to hear. And there is one topic that we no doubt wanted to tackle here, and that is anti-Black racism, discrimination, and everything that comes with it.
1: Yeah, we have all been watching the Black Lives Matter protests, maybe even taking part in them, reading, listening to friends, colleagues, strangers share their stories of racism and asking ourselves, how long has this been happening for? What am I doing about it? Can I make a difference in ending the social injustice? And are there ways that I can educate myself? So a lot of questions I know, Mal, you and I have both been kind of on our own time, been asking and that probably means that your children they have questions too. And it doesn't matter how old your kids are uh, they do have the questions and so do parents it doesn't matter how old
2: we are either and together we need to come up with these answers and so we have two fabulous guests who are joining us today for a very open transparent and hopefully educational discussion in what we can do next.
1: Let's start with Donovan Bennett. Donovan Bennett is a jack-of-all-trades of Sportsnet. He's on TV and on the digital platform. He is a host, a writer, producer, and podcaster for the station, not to mention The Best Dressed. And that includes guys and girls. No sport, no topic is off limits for DJ. He's been nominated for both the Gemini and a Digital Publishing Award. He and his wife live in Toronto, and they are raising their one-year-old son. And
2: Natalie Preddy is a travel and lifestyle blogger and on-air personality based in Toronto. But recently, she's been using her voice in the fight against anti-Black racism. The mom to two young boys and a baby on the way comes from a mixed-race family. Her father is black, her mother is white, and sadly, that beautiful family dynamic has been far from beautiful when it comes to full acceptance from others. So we are taking the next little while to open this up to our panel to have this very frank conversation. So thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for having me too. I I I you threw me off with that description because You said Donovan Bennett is, and you said jack. And I was like, is she going to say jacked? Because I know that's not true. Then you said jack of all trades. And I was like a little bit let down. I was going to brag to my wife that I I was not only on a podcast that she would be better on than me, um, but that I got a compliment from Ivanka. But thank you so much for having me. This is a really, really important conversation. So glad to be a part of it.
1: Well, yeah, we're glad you guys are here. Because I know a word we've been hearing a lot of for the past couple weeks is exhausted like you guys are exhausted from having to answer questions from your white friends who are like tell me educate me what do i what do i need to know and also you guys have been pulled in a lot of directions from the media as well so we we do really appreciate your time and Donovan i want to start with you what's happening in in your house what are the conversations you're having with your wife because she is she's white so and you have a 1-year-old son so what are you guys talking about She's white, I don't
0: know. <laughs> kept the receipt. I'm gonna bring her back. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the conversations that I think about um you know in the future are the ones with him, but those aren't happening now because the only rational thoughts he has are, give me more cheese like that's basically what he cares about, so really, the conversations are with her, and there are conversations that are not unique uh we've had them before we've. We continue to have them, um, and it's you know about sharing my experience, my emotions, my feelings. In a way, I think – I don't want to say it's more difficult for her, but it's different because she doesn't necessarily know how to process a lot that's going on in terms of feeling difficulty and struggling on how are you going to manage all of this with a kid eventually – I've always known my son was going to be black. Like, it's something that I've always been preparing myself for. And it's something that, you know, as much as we kind of hate that we end up being like our parents, in some ways I kind of am a lot like my dad in terms of how protective I feel about him relative to this conversation. And so I think many of the things my father said to me, I probably will end up saying, to my son verbatim. Like I probably could just outsource the experience and let my dad do all of the talks. But the conversation with my wife, I I can't outsource that to my dad because he never had to educate his spouse or his partner on how he's feeling. They felt it together that pain was collective and shared. And certainly she feels for me and certainly it's different for her now because when she sees George Floyd, she sees her son the same way I do, but she doesn't, know what it's like before you get to that point when you interact with the police before you get to that point when you're being teased in the schoolyard and so I think I'm trying to educate her with words but it's tough to educate on how your emotions have felt over the course of my now 37 years of of living so um and and I think there's also some guilt on her part not being able to fully understand every step and struggle of, of her partner. Um, so it's, it's like a, it's a constant dialogue that started long before these protests. It started long before we actually had kids. Um, and it'll, I'm sure, uh, continue well afterwards.
2: Uh, I want to bring in Natalie here and you've been posting quite a bit on Instagram and, uh... There was you describe your upbringing as sort of this limbo like space. And uh, I'm just pulling from your post and you said to my face, I've been told that I'm black enough to be a token, but white enough not to offend anyone. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and that and your experiences growing up and what you're experiencing today? oh gosh um, well growing up
3: it yeah it was very much um, between two worlds you know I had um, my black friends and I had my white friends and I was treated differently in in both and I knew I needed to act differently in both you know my black friends would say well I mean look how light-skinned you are look at your light eyes and then my white friends you know would say oh well you know you're black and and we got I got more jokes from from the white friends I don't know if it was not being able Able to understand it, or probably was not being able to, to understand and empathize with that. And you know, I I always struggled with and continue to struggle with this guilt, identifying as black and identifying as as white. But this guilt of knowing that my black friends and um, the black community is has not had the same privileges that I have had being light skinned and that is a guilt that has been following me around for years and i feel like i've never really been able to articulate it and it's only now um right now where i've seen you know posts from um other mixed race people um other black people that feel the exact same way they said you know i understand that you feel this fight you feel the pain you feel the struggle you know it's something that we dealt with as well i mean if, i remember we drove to disney world once as a kid and we ended up somewhere in the States and went into a pizza hut and suddenly didn't have any pizza or pasta or f- bread. And eventually it just came down to, we will not serve you. Um, your family is disgusting. And my parents have been called out. You know, my, my what my parents went through, my dad specifically, I can't e- even imagine and the way that he grew up has really affected the way that we grew up um, as well, in terms of his um, care for presentation and education. And a lot of that has been passed on to us. And I I wasn't really aware um, of how much black culture was a part of our lives growing up. And I feel like this whole movement has really been an enlightenment for me. It's really given me some visibility at, as a mixed race woman, and I, I feel now that it's okay to identify um, as as black and and try to figure out this this space and really really fight for the black community and not to be, um, I don't want to say ashamed, but to be proud of 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 being black and saying to everyone, you know, saying to the black community, I am here with you. I'm mixed race but I identify as black and and I am fighting along alongside of you. So, you know, there's a lot of emotions that have been going along with how I identify and and trying to make sense of it all, but I feel like this this particular movement at this point in time has been defining for me.
1: I think um A lot of Canadians, we've always looked at the U.S. and the problems there and thought, oh, that's happening down there, and that's not happening here, but clearly that's not the case. I mean, I will be the first to admit that I grew up in a very um, white-privileged, sheltered town, and then, you know, that continued through high school and university, and so I've, I've never seen it. But then hearing from you guys who grew up in the GTA and hearing stories, it is happening right here in our own backyard correct?
3: Absolutely. And I mean, I know my, even my, you know, my in-laws have said, I had no idea. Yeah, (laughs) And they've known me for a decade or long. And you know, they, I didn't even know that, that that happened. But my son, my youngest son is blonde hair, blue eyes. And I'm talking like the whitest child you have ever seen. And I've been told that is not your child. You cannot travel with your child. Prove that it's your child by people at the airport. I, and I don't quite know how to prove beyond like here's his passport, do you want to see my stretch marks like i i don't I don't know how to how to do to do that, and of course behind a keyboard as well i'm I'm sure uh Donovan, you've seen the difference of what people say to your face versus what they will say behind the the shield of a keyboard
0: for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it does. It, it is here. I mean, to think any where in the world is post-racial is just not really realistic or factually correct. But if we want to talk about Canada, I mean, we have racism. It's just a little bit more polite. Like it's it's not as overt. It's a bit covert. It's like we have our racism with like a wink and a smile, <laughs> and so. I certainly know that the ideals of our country and we strive to be inclusive and diverse and we have, you know, pretty good immigration policies relative to some other countries. People get threatened when they think that, oh, what do you mean we have an issue in Canada? What are you talking about my country? Well, no, that means that you don't have a race issue in Canada. And the hopes of our country are great. The the ceiling, you know, is pretty high, but the floor is still really, really low. And we, we have a long history of race issues in our country. Um, we had slavery in, in this country. We had internment camps and residential schools in this country. The difference is in the United States, you learn about it in a textbook when you're a kid. In Canada, we kind of just like brush it off to the side. We don't really want to talk about it. Well, part of truth and reconciliation is talking about it, owning up to it, learning from the mistakes of the past and trying to do better. And I don't think... We want to talk about as Canadians because we want to be the people with a flag on our backpack where we travel around the world and everyone loves us for being so nice. And that's great. And that's really nice for some people, but other people are struggling with it every day, even in places that you don't think would be prejudice, right? It's not just happening in, in you know, small towns or in the, in the prairies. I went to school at the, the University of Western Ontario. I love uh, my time there. As I sit in my closet, I'm looking at like five Western hoodies that I still wear fondly. But when I went to school there, which is not that long ago, I was stopped for driving while black upwards of 20 times. I say upwards because I forgot the number. And I played football there and I would actually think every school year, so what's going to be higher, the amount of touchdowns I score or the amount of times I'm pulled over with no reason? And three out of four years, the, the London Police Force won. They outscored me. And I even had an interaction where a police officer said, oh, well, you should have told me you were a University of Western student and you played football, as if, like, my ability to get into the school and my ability to run with a ball in my hand means that I don't have the ability to commit a crime, or I should just drive my car with the window down, screaming, I'm not a threat, I have a university degree on the way, so... Even in a town that is relatively progressive, there's still so much work uh, that needs to be done. And I'm hoping whenever my son uh, is in school, wherever it is in this country, that he doesn't have the same experience.
2: Um, we are all parents here, and I believe all parents to young children, and so those who listen to the podcast kind of range. You have got the newborns to the teens, and so it's a very broad discussion because it's going to be very individual with some of the answers, um, but my son caught a glimpse. I work in the news, and uh, my husband happened to put on uh, me on, and I happened to be talking to about George Floyd. A portion of that video of the officer kneeling on his neck played. My four-year-old son saw it. Now, the questions that came out of his mouth were this. Um, aren't, aren't police officers good? Is that a bad guy? Why is he doing that? Really, really pure, coming from the purest of places, the simplest questions, and sadly, um, the answers are very complicated. and And that's why... You know, it's it's tough. We started to have the conversation we never did before. I I I am Asian. My husband's Caucasian. We've talked a little bit about difference in skin color. My my son is very fair. He he's more of my husband's tone. Um, we've had limited conversations, but now we've opened the door to so much more and differences and understanding and standing up but I'm nervous and I know a lot of parents are nervous will they take this and continue this dialogue and use this in our day our daily lives to really understand the differences between people and to be able to stand up for injustices that's that's you know a part of me that's nervous I'm nervous about that discussion forever with him is there something for you guys, what you're going to be doing with your young ones? I know there's, they're young right now. What is your plan for education and constant education? Donovan, do you want to go first?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I, I I patiently await what you have to say. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> so it's funny, Melanie, that you say that it's, it's complicated because I think you're scenario that, that you explained like just shows us how uncomplicated it is. Like a four-year-old was able to watch that video and ascertain wrong and right and ask really important questions. Isn't the police officer supposed to protect him? Does that mean he's bad? But yet, if you have this conversation online, and, and I, I know because we're in the thick of it, I'll get flooded with messages about... You know, why George Floyd died because he has pre-existing conditions and why the officer was well within his rights. Right. So at at some point. Right. The the, the four year old. And I I think the innocence uh, of kids is instructive and at their heart, they're good. I think kids. Their nature is to be loving, to be understanding. And so you just want to foster that because I do think being racist or being insensitive is a learned behavior. It's it's taught. It's not something that you naturally have. So it's figuring out, okay, well, these kids naturally see the world with a, a, a good lens, and let's foster that with more conversations. And I think one of, and I'm far from an academic on the topic, but just... Watching and and listening to conversations that my friends who are parents have is is one of the innocent but maybe detrimental mistakes that are made at a young age, and really at no matter what age, is parents talk to their kids, and for this experiment we're talking about white kids, about race. And they say, listen, uh, there are different races, everyone is good, everyone is equal, don't be prejudiced, the end okay, my job here is done. I'm going to wipe my hands with the conversation. And they don't want to have tougher conversations because they might be awkward. They want to say the wrong thing. Well, that's the cost of maybe offending someone and saying the wrong thing is not that big a deal. For a black parent, the cost of you not having those conversations is maybe your child losing their life or being bullied for a long stretch of their life and having mental health repercussions because of it. I think the better conversation is because kids are smart. Well, no, we treat everyone equal. We love everyone equally, but we are different. And so uh, Charmaine has different hair, different texture, and that's okay. And that's cool. Look at her cool hairstyle. And Juan's mom makes different food. Doesn't that tortilla soup smell nice? Don't we want to eat that? And have a conversation about how different we are. But the fact that we're different doesn't make us better or worse. There are actually things to be celebrated in difference because actually we, we are actually different. And so they're going to learn the differences, the nuances eventually, whether it's through the media or just how they're socialized because in every turn we're seeing our differences play out. So, so I think just – telling kids the truth is actually the best way of arming them um to be, you know, active in this conversation in the future.
1: What you said, Donovan, it was it's close to my reality because, you know, as I said, where I grew up, very white town, um we didn't have those conversations in my household. We didn't have the talk, the talk meant, you know, the birds and the bees. And I guess I'm always I was always worried and I'm still worried about saying the wrong thing or um offending someone you know what what is okay to say um i think i'm struggling with with that myself but then also how do i pass that on to my son so what you said really um really means something and so uh, i i don't know where to go from here so i don't know i I hate to say do you have any tips advice for your white friends but but how do you how do we have a more open conversation Natal i'll pass it to you Gosh. Um,
3: uh, that's a hard one. How do you have more open conversations? I think just just having them just, you know, have straight up having those conversations, um, ask questions. Ask about experiences. You know, I've had friends who, who do. You know, this weekend we sat with friends in the backyard, and and they literally just asked me questions about the movement, about my experiences, about how I feel. And you know, they said I I never knew. I'm sorry, I never took the time to know. You know, it's it's. I'm sure the talk that that I had um, with my parents was different than the talk that Donovan had as a kid when it comes to um, to being black. It was more of of acknowledging the the limbo, I guess and um, and how to be a chameleon with my son. I've just you know I've been being truthful, very truthful, you know, um, we talk about the color of people's skin and that they're different, and you know, he asks why people don't like um, the people with black skin, and you know, we try to talk through that again, he's the same age as as Mel's son. So he'll be four in September. Um, So they are very frank questions. And, you know, I kind of wish that adults would have that those same truthful questions. And I think that's it. I just think um, it is being frank and and open and and taking the time to say, tell me, I don't know. Tell me. Um, My husband is white and he said to me, I think one day he, he said, you know what, if I was black, I would be so mad. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one way to put it. But, you know, he he does and he sits there and he asks questions. And yeah, I think I think what we just need to do is continue having those um, interactive
2: experiences and, and, and truthful conversations. Um to add to that, outside of having the conversations, uh, clearly there needs to be action, and, and that can be taken very young. Donovan, I heard you say once, uh, we, we hear the word ally uh, being thrown around quite a bit, to be an ally. And you said, actually, I think that the word should be partner. Why should it be partner, and what does that mean to be a partner, even from a very young age?
0: Yeah, and it, there's nothing wrong with the word ally. I just think when I personally think of allies I think of like the United Nations and it's like well hey help me out on this deal sign this bill and you know when you need me I'll sign a bill for you but but really strategic where a partner and, and I'm thinking of a partner in a relationship like, no, if, if someone is hurt or upset, okay, let's let's drop everything. How do we fix this problem? Your pain is my pain. It's a shared struggle. I'm going to be, you know, down on my knees with you fighting. I'm going to roll up my sleeve. Um, and so, so that's kind of why, you know, I prefer the term partner, even from a sports context. Um, like, I would just love to use the word teammates. Like, I just love the symbolism of that. And, you know, even in our relationship, to symbol that, like, on – uh, the inside of our wedding ring is written teammates. Because like, I just always want that to be front of mind. Like, we're on the same team. It, what's good for you is good for me. In this greater conversation, I think that's the same thing. I mean, Ivanka, you, you brought up a totally legitimate, valid point of struggling, of how to help, not really sure how to broach the conversation and what you can do. And and, and I, I've heard that in waves via email, via social media. I never thought that there was going to be... A bunch of people sliding into my DMs wanting to talk about race. Like that's not how I first saw sliding into my DMs to go, but here we are. But but I I, I think the analogy that I I use because it's really the only one that I'm smart enough to figure out is sexism and feminism. And I'm a I'm a male. I'm a you know straight male. I know that there's there's privilege and power in that, and so I'm aware that my female colleagues, my female friends, my female partner doesn't have some of the benefits that I do. So so what can I do to address that? One, I can be cognizant of that and always look to see where maybe they, they could use some help, they could use some encouragement, maybe to see where I have some blind spots on, on some topics, whether it's my language or things that I even consider, constantly having conversations about it with my wife, you know, double and triple checking to make sure that I'm, I'm seeing things through the proper lens uh, to make sure that, that I'm not um, slanting my judgment or not making someone feel uncomfortable or, or not as valued. But also I can use that power and privilege to help illuminate uh, some females, to give them some opportunities to shine a light on them. With my work, I can tell female stories. I can encourage female colleagues. And so even though I'll never know what it's like to walk in the shoes of a woman and I would be terrible at walking in heels. So thank God. Um, You don't, you know, that's like two ankle sprains is is basically what that (laughs) would be. Um, Even though I don't know that lived experience, I don't know what it's like to be sexualized at times, be catcalled, to be working out in the gym and wondering if people are looking. I have no idea what that's like. I never have to think of that. But I also know that I can use some of that privilege of not having to think about that to think about how I can help. And I would apply the exact same thing to to race in terms of how we are allies and partners as adults, but even how we address things with our kids. Um, I have a young son, and I'm already thinking about conversations I want to have with him in terms of how he addresses women, how he treats women, how he respects women. Um, and I'm thankful that there's lots of strong women around him in his life. And hopefully, um, he learns through that to treat them, um, with respect at all times. And and that's an urgent need. I think we all understand that we need to raise our sons to be Maybe better than the men that came before us um, for a couple generations. And so I think we all get how important that is, right? Because the consequences are, are bad for the sons, but also bad for our, our young daughters, In the same way, we need to have the same urgency to have conversations about race with our children, about respecting people who look differently, who practice different faiths, um, who have different orientations. I think those conversations warding off some potential issues, whether they're terrible or even just little microaggressions constantly that build up to something terrible, I think those conversations have to have the same urgency As the birds and the bees conversations.
3: And they have, and kids hear everything. You talk about those microaggressions. Kids pick up on everything. And they will hear that change in your voice. They will hear, you know, that little thing that you said under your breath, you know, or they will see it and they will run with it. And whether you mean for them to absorb that, they do, which is terrifying. You really,
1: really, especially around your kids, need to be aware of that. There's been, I got to say, there's been a lot of swearing going on during this COVID in our household. So my kids have been hearing everything. Um, So you mentioned urgency. So what, you know, we're hearing in the States that uh, get out and vote. If you want to see a change, get out and vote, whether it's in June, the local elections or in November for presidential. What about here, you know, across the GTA, in the province, in Canada, what sort of changes can we make at this level and in our country?
3: I... Personally, um, people that I speak to within media or um, well primarily within media um, or or even just you know people who ask questions, I'd say look around you directly around you, have that awareness, but also look who's in your boardrooms, who's making the decisions, who do you have in your pitch meetings? what stories are you telling? You know, these are immediate things that we can do. um, And these are um, immediate conversations. This is the urgency. Okay, we need to change the stories that we're telling. And we need to change the decision makers. I think in a very, um, I I feel that that's something we can do right now. And we are all in control of.
0: That's, that's great. And I agree. And I'm actually going to look at the opposite direction. And, you know, my experience is media, look, look at your entry level, like look at the ground floor. Those are the people who eventually, hopefully if they don't hit glass ceilings are going to make up your executive suites. If we're looking top down and thing that bothers me is we kind of, we place and frame types of people that we think can do certain jobs. And so there's many people with power and privilege that are wealthy that have no issue with a person of color or a minority or a woman running their household. They have no issue with them watching their kids, or being their nanny and cooking their meals and being a leader in things that are really important to them at home. But all of a sudden, when you're in the office, okay, well, all of a sudden the people who are making all the powerful decisions. All of a sudden, they're not women anymore. They're not people of color anymore. To me, that doesn't make any sense. And so if, if you have a, no issue with you know, landed immigrants or minorities doing all of these other things that are important to you, we should find a way to expand our minds and think, yeah, maybe they can actually do things that are important in the corporate structure as well.
2: Well said. Um, There's one word that's a bad word in my home. Uh, Always growing up, it was a bad word. It was known as a curse word. And that word was hate. That's a bad word. That's a bad word in this home too. And that's something that I do want to continue and from the very simplest level start that with my son and i hope that 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 this discussion is uh far from over and continues and we continue to be partners allies partners whatever you would like to call it um teammates we'll do this together we are here um natalie donovan uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and i think a lot of parents will get a lot out of this discussion
3: well again um thank you very much for having
0: me yeah thank you I was going to say I hate that this is over. But I'm not allowed to say that anymore. So
2: <laughs> i got to expand,
0: expand my vocab.
2: No, we're bleeping yeah. it. Steph can, Steph can do the bleep on that one.
1: <laughs> this is a podcast um, about being a mom, being a parent. And I know we touched a lot, a lot with DJ and Nat about teaching our children. And, you know, I know I'm going to be buying books that are more inclusive and that are educating my sons, but it doesn't end there. I have to continue to educate myself. And um, I know I need to learn more. I need to listen more. And, um, you know, it's it's one thing to, to talk to my kids about it, but it's another for me to keep the... Uh, the conversation open amongst my friends and my family and me. So I think that's the biggest takeaway and that's what I'm going to continue to do. And one thing this has taught me in the past couple of weeks, though, is that um, I can use my platform. I can use my voice, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, and um, not only retweet, but but uh, show that I am a teammate of Black Lives Matter and do more that way. I think that's, um, that's something that I really need to work on. Yeah, and I think
2: um, for me, it's about being having these really honest and real conversations. So not just with my son, which you know we're starting to do now, but also with friends. I don't think I've talked more about race and racism more than I have in the last few weeks, and I think that's really important. So I think. I'm going to commit to making this an ongoing conversation. But like you said, Ivanka, too, taking it just beyond the conversation into action. And something I know personally that I need to get better at is standing up for others when I see that they are the subject of discrimination. You know, it's easier to not say anything if you're not the target. It's much harder to stand up and put yourself at risk of judgment and whatnot. And, and now I've, I've cleared that out of my head. That judgment does not matter because it is now wrong versus right. And so I'm committing to that. So I And I hope that all of our listeners here got a lot out of this conversation.
1: I know we both did, Ivanka. And it's a conversation that we will continue here. So we thank you so much. And Mel, you also had an important conversation on Instagram. So you should follow Moms in the Middle podcast on Instagram because um, you had a really fantastic, honest, um, at times emotional interview with Damian Nurse, who lives in Toronto. And um, it was really emotional. So um, I suggest I really recommend highly that everyone checks out as well. We're always, we always want to hear your feedback, whether it's wherever you download the podcast, you can rate and review or go to our Instagram.
2: And this episode and all our episodes produced by Stephanie Phillips and presented by Frequency Podcast Network.